Is a return to the Iran nuclear deal imminent? After 16 months of negotiations, Tehran has responded to the EU's plan to restore the 2015 accord. All sides are waiting for the US to reply. So what are the final hurdles to a new agreement? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now. And in Tehran, we have Mohamed Morandi, advisor to the Iranian negotiation team in Vienna. In Berlin is Hamid Reza Azizi, visiting fellow at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. And in Washington, D.C. is Alex Fatanka, senior fellow and founder of the Iran program at the Middle East Institute. A very warm welcome to all of you. Uh, Mohamed Morandi, let's start with you, because the signs are good, aren't they? Is there a workable proposal to revive the 2015 deal on the table? Well, first of all, I have to point out that Iran did not withdraw any demand. And I think the Americans are trying to sell this at home. I've been saying this for months, that removing the guards from the uh, U.S. Uh, terrorist list uh, is not something, is, was not a precondition. And I've said this often, people can check my interviews. I probably said it on Al Jazeera multiple times. So the, the statements coming from Washington don't make any sense. Iran will continue to have CENTCOM on its terrorist organization list. But yes, I do agree that uh, a lot has been achieved over the past few months, and the Iranians were able to uh, gain significant ground on uh, all the different fronts, whether it's sanctions or whether it's um, it has to do with verification or sequencing and uh, assurances. And uh, the uh, EU foreign policy chief, the statement that was quoted earlier on in the package, he in it, he says that the Iranian proposals or the Iranian points that it, they made uh, in their response were reasonable. So obviously the ball is not only in the American court in the eyes of the Iranians, mm-hmm. okay. but the ball is in the American court according to the EU. So just to be clear on that first point that you made, Mohammed, you're saying that the Iranians were never demanding that the Revolutionary Guards be taken off the terrorist list in the US before the deal could be revived? Yes, the uh, Iranians never demanded the guards being re- removed from the so-called FTO, list, the foreign terrorist organization list. And anyone who doubts that, they can use a search engine, check my interviews, probably a few done on Al Jazeera and on my Twitter account. Uh, Alex, is that something that you can corroborate there from where you are in Washington, D.C.? I don't know what Mr. Mirandi did on this issue over the last few months. Uh, I think uh, the consensus here in Washington would certainly be that that was an issue the Iranians were pressing for hard. If I remember right, Kamal Kharazi, uh, a very senior member of the Iranian regime close to Ayatollah Khamenei, I believe it was a Doha forum he made that point, that the uh, Revolutionary Guards needed to be off the U.S. terrorism list. So, you know, I don't know exactly where different uh, players were, but this was certainly a factor for a while, and it seems to not be a factor at Mm. the moment, at least. Absolutely. I was going to say, regardless of uh, the status, it seems to be a moot point because it appears that the Revolutionary Guards are not 
on the table anymore. Hamid Reza, how close do you think we are to getting the 2015 deal revived? To my understanding, we are uh, closer than any time before since the restart of the negotiations after uh, Raisi uh, took office. Uh, because, you know, uh, at some point uh, we were actually uh, witnessing uh, kind of uh, maximalist demands uh, on the Iranian side, which was uh, then uh, somehow, you know, of course, uh, was uh, not accepted by, uh, by the U.S. side. But... Uh, as we've uh, heard recently, uh, you know, on issues like uh, listing the IRGC or other points, uh, I think uh, Iran has uh, made uh, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, or better to say, uh, a series of uh, reasonable concessions. And that is the reason why uh, Joseph Borrell, the EU foreign policy chief, has uh, kind of uh, called Iran's response uh, reasonable. Uh, so at this moment, I think uh, Borrell's statement was also important in the sense that he kind of indirectly uh, mentioned that uh, it's up to the United States now to decide because uh, what, uh, whatever the uh, European side could do, I think uh, they have already done. And uh, as it was mentioned before, uh, it's uh, kind of a final offer uh, mm -hmm. taking into account the positions, the basic questions, uh, positions of both sides. So. Uh, that is, uh, you know, now the situation. So it's uh, really much up to the United States to come up uh, to come up with, mm. the, with the response to the EU proposal as well. Alex, it's generally accepted that the ball is now in the US's court, but is Biden stalling? Look, uh, Laura, we have to admit to a simple reality here. There's a lot of politics around this issue, both in Washington and in Tehran. In Tehran, uh, President Raisi and his team want to give the Iranian public the impression that the deal that's about to be born, maybe, is so much better than Hassan Rouhani would have negotiated. This is part of Iranian factional politics. The so-called reformists and the so-called hardliners each want to be the national champions. They've been playing this game for months. Uh, in the Washington, you know, the Democratic Party is not doing well. President Biden's approval rating is historic low. He can't afford to seem weak, not after the debacle in Afghanistan and all sorts of questions about his handling of foreign policy. So he's making sure that, you know, he doesn't look weak. A lot of Democrats in Congress are already on the fence, if not opposing this deal because of political reasons. So unfortunately, politics in Washington and Tehran is just not helping this diplomatic process. Uh, Mohammed, do you agree with that? Would you say that there's pressure in uh, the political echelons of Tehran to present a better deal than Rouhani could have negotiated? Look, I, I was on the... I was with uh, Dr. Zarif in Vienna in 2015 during the whole period of the negotiations, the three weeks, and I was with the current team in Vienna during the whole period when they were negotiating. And it is very obvious to me that while both teams worked, did their best, but uh, for whatever reason, the Iranians have been able to gain enormous concessions this time around. And in fact, to correct a point that was previously, previously made, Mr. Borrell said, spoke favorably about the points that the Iranians made, those, uh, which were linked to the so-called final text. In other words, the Iranians were saying this final text has deficiencies that have to be addressed. And Mr. Borrell, when he read and when they studied the Iranian proposals, he, he said that they were reasonable. So 
the United States had to uh, give concessions. But the, the, the fact is that the, the concessions that the Iranians gained were all about implementing the JCPOA, nothing more than that. What the Americans want to do is have a JCPOA where they don't abide by their commitments in full, and the Iranians do so. And the Iranians are not going to have that again. When Obama signed the deal, he systematically violated the deal from day one. He was supposed to help help facilitate the normalization of Iranian trade and business. And what he did in reality through the Treasury was threaten banks, financial institutions, shipping companies, insurance companies, big business, not to work with Iran. That was a clear violation of the deal. And then Trump tore up the deal. And Biden, despite criticizing Trump, he pursued Trump's maximum pressure policy, which was directed at ordinary Iranians. So the Iranians are looking at the past, at American violations, whereas we all know that the Iranians were abiding by their commitments. So this time around, the Iranians, they gained these concessions basically to make sure that the Americans, alongside the Iranians, abide by their commitments. Mm. Uh, Hamad Reza, is one of those concessions that's been raised in the media, is one of those concessions that the U.S. will face a fine if a future president again reneges on the deal? Is that in this proposal? Um, as you know, uh, what, we, uh, what, we have already, uh, what we have heard uh, or seen in the media has been based on a leaked audio mm. on the Iranian side. So uh, there is no concrete detail on the European side, at least as far as I know. But based on my understanding, uh, you know, there might be some uh, provisions like uh, what you mentioned uh, in terms of uh, kind of at least a, a formal uh, line or something like that uh, as a compensation if the United States decides to withdraw again. But uh, I seriously doubt that any uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, guarantee or, uh, you know, uh, compensation uh, like that would be actually implementable because, uh, you know, uh, there is a matter of uh, whether and to what extent uh, any kind of uh, agreement, I mean, the deal itself would be binding, uh, let alone uh, the uh, issue of compensation. So I think this is something uh, more related to Iran's domestic politics, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Raisi team needs to uh, sell the agreement to the public as something uh, stronger than Rouhani. And this matter of this issue of guarantees has been something that they have been maneuvering on. And uh, this might well, you know, serve that purpose, I think. Mm. Uh, Alex, well, you can understand the Iranians' lack of trust, given that the U.S. unilaterally pulled out of the former deal in 2018. But, as Hamid Reza says, are there any uh, guarantees that are workable within the U.S. political and legal system? Um, look, the, the, the short answer to that is no American president can guarantee a deal permanent. I mean, you need to go through the Congress. You need to ha ratify a treaty to have that, uh, you know, uh, state of course uh, going forward, regardless of who is in the White House. Now, the Islamic Republic of Iran has very few friends in the United States Congress. And, you know, and this is a point that goes back to what we heard just earlier in terms of U.S. intentions. Um, look, number one, it is a mistake. It's a folly and has been from day one to assume that you can have anything that's permanent. The Iranian side should have looked at the Biden uh, term in office, and it might be a two-term president, Biden it might be a one-term president, Biden, but there was a window of opportunity. And instead of working with Biden, the Iranians played politics with it uh, quite a bit. I understand that they didn't want to fall into the same trap again. That's totally understandable. But they 
try to pay uh, or make Biden pay for the, the sins of Trump, if you will. That was a mistake. There's still two years left. There's a lot that can be done, negotiated. And, and I think it's a strategic mistake on the part of the Islamic Republic of Iran to stick to the nuclear talks alone. What they need to do, and they should have done this from day one Biden came to the White House, is to broaden the conversation and admit to the fact that Iranian foreign policy would benefit from being more balanced to talk to the West and not put all their eggs in the basket of the likes of Russia and China. This is a political ideological decision the Islamic Republic needs to make. If they do that, I think any deal that might be reached will have so much more likelihood to, to succeed uh, beyond a, a Biden presidency. Mm. And if there is time, I'd like to talk about something else the U.S. can do, but I'll leave that out for, for now. Please, yeah, we will we'll definitely give you more time in a moment. Uh, Mohammed, a lot of uh, things to answer there in Alex's answer, but I also just want to put it to you, whether the Iranians, the Iranian people, might consider that Biden also made a mistake in missing the opportunity to renegotiate this deal in Rouhani's final last months in 2021. Might that have been an easier task? Yes, the problem was that Biden wanted more than what he deserved. He wanted Iran to implement the deal in full, and he wanted the United States to gain added concessions. That was tr what Trump was after. So why would Iran resist Trump's excessive demands and appease Trump, and then then later on and and refrain from appeasing Trump, and then later on go and appease Biden? No, that's 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 that would be ridiculous. Actually, what the Iranians have done at the negotiations, one thing that they did was that they created inherent insurances. insurances. In other words, if the United States doesn't live up to its obligations, the Iranians can very quickly return to enriching uranium at the pace that it is doing now. That makes the Americans pay a price for leaving the deal. The problem that we had under Obama, and Biden was his vice president, was that the United States didn't pay a price for violating the deal. The problem under Trump was that the United States didn't pay a price for leaving a deal. These negotiations were to, to ensure that the United States pays a price. And this is a good thing for the deal because it protects the deal. If both sides feel that staying in the deal is a better thing, it's good for the deal. One final point that I'd like to make, and that is that in 2015, when the deal was signed, the Iranian leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, said that if the United States abides by its commitments in good faith, other issues could be discussed. And then in that speech, he said, although I don't believe the United States will abide by its commitments in good faith, and he was absolutely correct. The United States wasted an opportunity. And why should the Iranians speak about other issues when the United States is not abiding by its, the commitments that it signed on to? So if the United States in future wants to start talking to the Iranians about multiple issues. First, they have to show that they are reasonable in their, uh, with regards to their obligations mm -hmm. in any future nuclear deal. Ahmed Reza, how difficult has it been to try to keep this deal alive? Um, as you know, the EU member states, China, Russia, also trying to, to keep this deal going, when you've got two very different sides who won't even sit at the same table during these particular negotiations? Uh, yeah, of course. You know, when uh, you have uh, the two sides that uh, are not ready, at least one of them is not ready to directly negotiate uh, with the other party, and you need to have uh, both a party to uh, the agreement and the negotiations and also to 
uh, you know, play the role of, of a mediator, it's, uh, it's quite difficult. And this has been, to my understanding, one of the main reasons uh, that, you know, it took so long uh, for us to reach the point that we are. And this is still a kind of uncertain uh, situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, here, uh, speaking of EU, I think we've uh, witnessed a kind of very interesting change in uh, EU's role because, uh, you know, what EU used to do before was to uh, somehow uh, play the role of mediator more like a kind of uh, messenger, I would mm. say. You know, that mediating role uh, kind of reduced to the role of messenger between Iran and the United States. But since the Ukraine crisis, I think we've uh, been uh, witnessing a kind of increased role of the EU in terms of uh, coming up with uh, uh, its own initiatives, uh, like uh, the proposal that uh, that we saw. And, uh, of course, there's a few reasons, like, uh, you know, the uh, potential for Iran to uh, go back to the energy market and, and its potential for, uh, you know, increasing its oil production if the sanctions are removed. And also the fact that the uh, Europeans don't want uh, a new war uh, you know, it's uh, in, in Europe's na close neighborhood. So mm. uh, these uh, factors, I think, have contributed to a kind of more active role by the European Union. And without that, I don't think that we could reach the point that we are uh, at the moment. Absolutely. On the other side, Alex, we've got Israel looming large, doing what it can to stop the deal. Uh, Axios reporting just a few days ago that the Prime Minister Yair Lapid told the U.S. to walk away from these talks. I mean, we know that Joe Biden is taking his time to respond. Is this because of Israel's leverage within the U.S.? Look, I say two things about uh, the role of the Israelis in all of this. Number one is just put yourself in the shoes of the Israelis. You're sitting there, a country of just under 10 million people, and you have Iran not far away, a country of 85 million that has since 1979 vowed to destroy you. Anybody on a human level would have to sympathize with the fears that the Israelis have. Now, I'm not for a second defending what the Israelis are doing vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians and all sorts of other criticism you can let put at the door of Israel. But on that existential threat, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and don't take my word for it, listen to the speeches of Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who's been the supreme leader of this system since 1989. We, just to Alex, I'm going to jump in. To We've only got three minutes left. We know the antagonism between Israel and Iran. I just want to know yeah. how much Israel is stymieing the US responding to this deal. Look, I think the Israelis really don't have much of a plan B here. The best right. thing Israel can do is help the United States. The Israelis don't have a military strike option against Iran. They know it. They would have done it a long time ago if they had it. So all Israel really should do is to support the United States in any way possible uh, to make sure that Iran and the rest of the world come to an agreement in terms of Iran's nuclear program. OK, Mohammed, does, uh, does Iran have a plan B if this deal is not revived? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that Iran's opposition to Israel is like its opposition to apartheid South Africa. Iran wants this system, this racist regime to end, okay. just like South Africa. This is Africa. a whole other debate that we, will, we do have on Inside Story many times, so please, let's stick to the nuclear deal. Well, the Iranians, if the United States, at this point, when both the Europeans and the Iranians are saying that the ball is in the U.S. court, if the Americans are not reasonable, the Iranians will continue to expand their peaceful nuclear program. And also, we are closing in on winter. The weather is going to get very cold in Europe. The Europeans are going to suffer, and so is the, the United States. The price of energy is high. So if the United States wants to ease pressure on ordinary Europeans, instead of sacrificing them, they should listen to Joseph Borrell. Okay, Hamid Reza, you hear there that uh, Iran will continue expanding what it calls its 
peaceful nuclear program. I mean, it has enriched uranium to 60%. It needs to be enriched to 90% for uh, it to be a nuclear bomb. And we have had the Supreme Leader's senior advisor in July saying that Iran is technically capable of making a nuclear bomb. If this deal doesn't happen, how dangerous a situation is the region in? Um, of course, we will witness uh, an escalation of the tensions, especially between uh, Iran and Israel. Uh, because, uh, you know, of course, as uh, uh, your other guest mentioned, you know, there's not uh, a lot of uh, options that Israel has, but one option that it has been resorting to has been to uh, these uh, has been these uh, you know covert activities against Iran nuclear infrastructures, and an Iranian response uh, would actually you know uh, exacerbate the situation. But one uh, very quick point, uh, you know, uh, there's a kind of misunderstanding I think regarding the position of uh, of EU because you know. Uh, EU's uh, energy needs uh, is uh, something uh, quite, uh, you know, obvious. But then uh, if uh, EU wanted to also, you know, uh, ignore its red lines, uh, they would have already reached an agreement with Russia itself because, uh, you know, this whole debate is about uh, the very fact that uh, the Europeans have their own red lines as well. So mm. I don't think that, you know, Iran going uh, further, uh, you know, escalating it at the regional level and also escalating in its nuclear program would be really helpful in uh, getting more from the Europeans or the Americans. Okay, a very interesting discussion indeed. We are going to have to leave it there for the moment, though. Mohamed Morandi, Hamid Reza Azizi and Alex Batanka, thank you all very much for joining us. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin and Ume Kulsum Sharif, Fungi Nguyen and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Suraj Shankar. The programme was edited by Anirban Sarkar, Lynn Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again on Wednesday.